All right. Well, here we are. So this uh, Shabbat, as I said, I think a couple of weeks ago, we are uh, at a very nice uh, breaking point, break point, not breaking, break point uh, in, uh, in Breshit, in Genesis. And uh, after the holidays, we will continue with the uh, Joseph story. But uh, today, I thought it would be wise uh, for us to think about the holiday, to understand uh, a little bit about, uh, about these holidays, because I know that for some of us, we may not be uh, so familiar uh, with what we call the High Holy Days and, uh, and the, these fall feasts and so on. So I thought we would first uh, very quickly understand what they're about, what, you know, what, what it's about, uh, and then uh, look at a particular psalm uh, that I think helps us to uh, get our mind uh, thinking in the attitude of this uh, holiday, uh, of these holidays. And you know, it is interesting, we call them holidays, right? Not just holy day, not only holy days, they are holy days, but they are uh, holidays when we are gathered together with family, uh, but in the context of, uh, of a spiritual uh, uh, meaning, you know? All right. So first of all, what, what, when we say the high holy days, we have to actually uh, explain what we mean by that. Uh, so generally speaking, in the Jewish community, the high holy days uh, consist of Rosh Hashanah and uh, Yom Kippur, right? In the Bible, we call it the Feast of Trumpets uh, and the Day of Atonement, right? Now, in our uh, Messianic world, for us, uh, we, when we say high holy days, while we mean Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we also really mean Sukkot as well. In the, in the larger Jewish community, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, is frankly a, somewhat of a minor holiday. No, it is. It is a minor, not somewhat. It is a minor holiday, called a minor holiday. Uh, and the, the biggies are Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But as we journey together over the next uh, couple of weeks, we will see that according to the scriptures, According to the meaning of these holidays, that Sukkot plays a very important role and gives uh, indeed more meaning to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So they really, all three of them really are uh, dramatically important uh, holy days uh, for us, okay? So what are they? What are they? What are they about? Well, we usually, if you go to a Hallmark store, you know what it's about, kind of not, right? Uh, like, for example, did you ever go to the Hallmark store and it says, Happy Day of Repentance, right? May the season of repentance drive you to your knees, you know? Usually you don't see that, right? It's Happy New Year, like you're waiting for the matzo ball to drop on the Temple Mount or something like that. Right? You know, five, four, three, two, one, the end of the world, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, not exactly. In Jewish tradition, uh, it is the, the new year, right? And according to the tradition, uh, we are coming up on uh, uh, 5779, right? 
I remember uh, when we got to, when we finished the 60s, we said, the 60s are always bad regardless of what millennium, uh, you know, always a difficult era, the 60s, right? So the 70s were not so hot either, right? Right, right. But, you know, God is always at work moving history forward. So we're up to 5,779 uh, uh, coming up. Now, where does that come from? I'm just going to say very briefly, you can study it, uh, um, you know, in a variety of different places, but it is a tradition. And, you know, the answer is nobody knows exactly why it's that year. Nobody, except for mystical, mystical reasons, you know, but nobody knows exactly why it's called the new year. But you know how things happen, you know, in, in the culture of a people over time? Uh, uh, traditions develop. I would say that probably, probably, what is most accurate is that it is the seventh month, right? The first day of every Hebrew month is actually a holiday. We have more holidays than everybody else, right? Uh, and so it's called Rosh, that's the head. Head is Rosh. Chodesh, the month, head of the month, right? Rosh Chodesh. Uh, and special prayers are said. People don't take off of work or school, but uh, special prayers are said in the first day of every Hebrew month. So the first day of the seventh month uh, is like an extra special holy day. What is it about the seventh month? It's not just the number seven, okay? Uh, and all that, uh, you know, all that the number seven has meaning for of completion and things of that nature, and a special sense of holiness. But remember that in ancient Israel, these holy days that you read about in the Bible uh, had something to do with agriculture, had something to do with the land itself. And so it is no coincidence that the seventh month takes place at the end of the harvest season and the beginning of the rainy season of, of new planting and, and preparing for the next year. See? So, you know, just like on December 31st at 11.59 p.m., it's the end of the year. One minute later, it's the beginning of the year, right? So the end and the beginning kind of happen at the same time, right? So it is in the seventh month. The seventh month is an end and it's a beginning, an end and a beginning. Uh, originally, it was ag just agricultural, and we'll learn more about that as these uh, few weeks go on, uh, but... Over time, these, uh, uh, this season uh, took on additional meaning. Uh, for example, uh, it became, uh, in a way, synonymous with judgment and then beginning again. You know, a time of judgment and then the afterwards uh, of judgment, which is blessing, right? Uh, and so it points to the, the end, you know, what you read about at the end of all the prophets. And in that day, when you return to the Lord your God and, and David your king, and in the end, God will bring you from the four corners of the earth. And, you know, he'll judge your enemies and he'll bless you. And, of course, this is carried over into the new covenant, right? Where we read about there will be, there will be a time of great judgment but it also says all Israel shall be saved and all the nations will come to Jerusalem and all of that, right? Uh, and so this period of time 
uh, began to have meaning of uh, the end, the end time judgment, and then end time blessing, right? Like the day of what we might call the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a great concept. We learned that in our class, in our MSI class on the prophets, right? Uh, the day of the Lord. Uh, in that day, the day, the day of the Lord, you can look at it like a Jewish day. Dusk, darkness, dawn, and light, you know? And it refers to all of that, the, the judgment as well as uh, blessing, right? Uh, and, and then as time went on and, and so on, that the holidays then uh, became uh, an opportunity, all of them, not only the Day of Atonement, but all of them became an opportunity of repentance and starting over. And so it is rather, uh, it is rather interesting that uh, how, how it came to be. So you have, first of all, there, it's an agricultural time of year, a time of renewal, uh, a time of uh, approaching God, everything you read about in the, uh, you know, about the Day of Atonement. But then it also came to be an understanding of the end, right? So it's very interesting. So then when we come to these holidays every year, uh, it's sort of like this time of, of repentance, thinking about it, thinking about our own personal repentance, maybe thinking back on our own personal repentance, looking forward to the end time, time of world repentance and judgment, but then giving us an opportunity right now to experience it again and again and again, repentance uh, and being reconciled to God. And while we should do this all the time, uh, it's great that God gives us a period in the year where we communally can come to God uh, and, uh, and begin again, you know? It's kind of like you might say, uh, there, you know, we have in our country the National Day of Prayer, right? We should, well, we should pray every day, right? But there's a, a, a moment there when uh, it's a good thing to pray, right? So here is sort of like Israel's national season of repentance is what we read about, really, in the scriptures about these holidays. Israel's national season of repentance. And uh, we need to see that as well in our, in our community here at Beth Messiah. I, uh, that it, here is an opportunity for us to experience a, a, a repentance, reconciliation, all sort of journeying together through it, whether we're talking about individually, in our families, communally here, as part of Israel, part of the larger body of the Messiah. We all are parts of lots of things, right? Uh, and of course, looking forward to the future. And at the end of the day, uh, it should be a great uh, time of hope, a, a, a time of, uh, uh, of hope, of transformation, of reconciliation, and I hope that we indeed do uh, see, it, uh, see it that way. Now, let's take a look very briefly in Leviticus, okay, chapter 23, just real briefly. Okay, and you always remember where, where uh, the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah is because it's Leviticus 23.23. Always good to have those little remembrance things. Okay, and you have that unique verse in verse 23. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, that's not unique. 
It's all over the place. Okay. Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a Shabbaton, a Shabbat. Okay? It says in your English translation, probably a rest. Uh, zikaron, uh, remembrance. Reminder is a little too weak. And memorial doesn't usually fit into our common vernacular, right? Remembrance, okay? Uh, and then in your English translation, it says, by blowing of trumpets, okay? Now, trumpets is uh, in italics in your Bible, I trust, right? Okay? Blowing of trumpets should, blowing of should also be in italics, because it doesn't say that either, okay? So saying, what does it say? I'm not going to tell you. No, of course I am. Okay? Uh, it says truah. That's all it says. Truah. Okay? So this is very interesting. The word truah. Now, if you uh, have uh, been to uh, Rosh Hashanah service uh, here or anywhere, uh, truah, wait a minute. That's one of the words that we say when we blow the shofar. Truah. Right? Uh, truah. Right? You know? That was, that was the inner shofar uh, right there, okay? That would be a great message. I just, you know, that show, I just thought of that. The inner shofar. Wow. You know, if I, I had to be careful because that can then all of a sudden become like this. Someone will write a book on it, you know? <laughs> Scary stuff. Okay. Anyway, uh, so what does truah mean? What does it mean? Well, it's used in a variety of places in the Bible, like uh, when, the, when we read about sounding an alarm on God's holy mountain, it says, truah, right? Uh, when I, my favorite place is in Psalm 150, right? Psalm 150 uh, gives us the best example of what this means. All right. Psalm 150. Because it uses the word in the most literal way. Uh, although the majority of passages is the word alarm. Okay? Like alarm, like alarm clock, alarm. Right? Okay? But uh, in Psalm 150, in verse 5, praise him with loud cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. Okay? Uh, now, literally, uh, when it says praise him with loud cymbals, that really is like symbols that make a noise, symbols that have sound to it. But the second part, when it says, praise him with resounding symbols, but siltzelay, that's the word for symbols, truah, loud, like loud, resounding symbols, truah. So it really is like noise. Something loud is what the word means, Okay. So, in order to uh, get something out of it, back there in, um, in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, it's, it shall, you shall have a Shabbat, a remembrance by a loud noise, by noise, right? And so you have blowing of, blowing of trumpets is, is what is written here. Now, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 29... The holiday is called Yom Truah, Yom Truah, and that is generally what it's called. What, what, what it, in Hebrew, when you say, what is, in the Bible, what is this holiday called? Yom HaTruah, the day of alarm or noise, 
<laughs> right? But we don't say that. We say blowing of trumpets, right? So it says in uh, Numbers 29 at the beginning, Now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day of for blowing trumpets. Yom HaTruah, a day of Truah, right? Okay, so traditionally this came to be understood as blowing the shofar. The shofar, the ram's horn, right? Blowing the ram's horn. Uh, and so when you go back here to uh, 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 Leviticus chapter 23, if you only look at those verses themselves, okay, it's a reminder uh, by, by like making a noise, like an alarm clock, you know? Uh, just like early this morning, uh, my alarm clock went off and I was, oh, I was not in a good mood when that, when that thing happened, right? Uh, uh, but it's like, it wakes us up, right? It reminds us of actually what you read in, in the book of Ephesians uh, when Paul says, awake, O sleeper, you, you know? Perhaps he was thinking about uh, Yom HaTruah. Perhaps that's what he was uh, uh, thinking about. Uh, but it is an alarm. It wakes us up. It is a reminder, a remembrance. So to get the best understanding of it, you have to look at the next few verses. The Lord, then the Lord, uh, wait a minute, there we are, yes. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on exactly the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, Mikra HaKodesh, uh, for you, and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. So Yom Kippur is the, traditionally the day when Israel meets God, right? In the Leviticus chapter 16, you have the specifics of what takes place, what the high priest does, the goats, and, you know, and, and all of that. Uh, we're called to humble our souls. Uh, uh, that uh, comes uh, traditionally to be understood as a day of fasting. Fasting, and that's a fast day for us, right? Uh, and uh, so... So how does this relate to Rosh Hashanah? So the obvious uh, relationship is ten, they're 10 days apart, uh, and that uh, Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar, wakes us up, and begins for us this season of repentance so that we're prepared 10 days later for Yom Kippur. See? Uh, and uh, now, what does the blowing of the shofar represent? Well, it represents, uh, according to uh, our uh, ancestors, and this is helpful, uh, three themes, three things. And these are three themes of Rosh Hashanah. And uh, when we blow the shofar, uh, we're going to have some responsive readings. And we blow the shofar, some other responsive readings, blow the shofar, uh, so that we're remembering these three themes. The first one is called Mahuyot, or kingship, the kingship of God. We remember that God is king. And that means, wow, he's the king. We're accountable to God. We might forget that during the year, you know, that we're accountable to God. And so we need to repent. Uh, we need to return to the Lord, our God, our, our king, right? The second theme when we blow the shofar is God's love for us uh, via covenant relationship, his loving kindness, his loyal love toward us. The third theme uh, is uh, God revealing himself. God revealing himself at Mount Sinai and giving us the Torah. And as, of course, uh, as Messiah followers, we, uh, there's a lot of import to all three of these uh, themes. 
Yeshua is our king, uh, certainly the new covenant, and then, of course, uh, Yeshua coming into this uh, world, uh, bringing us uh, salvation, but also Yeshua appearing again uh, at the end and looking forward uh, to the coming of the king uh, who will dwell in Jerusalem. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of themes to, to this, and that is what uh, Rosh Hashanah means. So for us, we could, you know, there's a lot of ways we could go on this. Uh, we could uh, talk about this uh, historically and, and emphasize that. Or we could talk about it prophetically, right? Uh, we read a lot about trumpets and shofar blasts, right, in the Brit Hadashah, all having to do with different aspects of the return of the Lord, right? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in the book of Revelation, uh, it's not a coincidence, right? The catching up of the believers, the return of the Lord, the judgments in, in this world, all of those things, right? Uh, but I would say that living uh, now, today, a great need for us with uh, these holidays is primarily the need for repentance today, uh, understanding these holidays in, in what they're supposed to do for us and cause us to return to the Lord, right? Uh, quite clearly, uh, that's what we read about in Leviticus. That's what we read about in the, in the uh, uh, Torah. And, and that's really where we want to go with it. So I thought that uh, for a few minutes, we would look at a particular uh, a psalm uh, and uh, that uh, we would uh, maybe get in the, the attitude mood, right? I don't have to use the word mood, you know, but that we would be in the right attitude for these holidays. Because, you know, if you've uh, come to any of, our, uh, any, any of the Bible studies that I teach on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, other times, over these last weeks, what do we keep praying? We're praying that these holidays would be meaningful, uh, meaningful for us as a community, not just simply lots of services and uh, lots of uh, preparation for fellowship afterwards and onegs and breaking the fast and, you know, uh, getting uh, the uh, building ready, the synagogue ready for the holidays and cleaning it and all the and the bulletins, and all the work that goes into it. But all of that is meaningless, right, if our hearts are not changed, right? So that's something that we, of course, would say, oh, well, of course, but it's not of course. We have to really be reminded of that, right? Uh, and so I hope that, uh, that these holidays really do the work of their holidays, of these holidays, that it really does bring meaningful change or get us on the road of meaningful change in our lives. So what was I thinking? What Psalm? Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a marvelous uh, psalm. You may be, it's, so, it's famous. We sing songs from it, right? But uh, we want to glean uh, some things from it that perhaps we don't always get. All right. You want to remember it's a psalm of David. That's pretty interesting. Think about David's life. You know, David David loved the Lord. You know, David knew the Lord. David 
fell hugely, right? David was restored. Wow. Uh, you know, it's kind of like every man's life, every person's life in a, in a certain respect. Maybe not the same sins, but, but if we had to let it all hang out, right? Oh, wow. We'd say, well, I'm kind of like David in a lot of ways, right? Right. No matter who we are. All right. So there are uh, a few. We can divide a few. There are a few themes here. We can actually, here we go, divide this up into uh, a few little subcategories. We could say verses 1 to 6 is he knows you, right? He knows you, verses 1 to 6. Then we could say in verse 7 to 12, he chases after you, okay? He chases after you, verses 7 to 12. Verses 13 to 15, he made you. Verse 16, he has a purpose for your life, okay? Verses 17 and 18 is sort of the end of this section of he knows you, he chases after you, he made you, he has a purpose for your life. And what does that make us do? It makes us have an exclamation or like a doxology of praise to God. And then what's interesting is the rest of it is what, the, is, is what it's all leading up to, a prayer of deliverance a prayer of deliverance. And uh, so we want to kind of understand how this, how, this all works, uh, how this all works together, all right? You know, sometimes I, uh, when we talk about teaching or preaching on a passage, we say, that passage preaches itself. Well, you know, uh, Psalm 139, uh, all we have to do is really just read it slowly and we're all going to be really convicted, okay? Uh, because it's pretty plain uh, in its understanding. The real issue is, do we internalize it uh, and believe it, <laughs> you know? So uh, you see here at the beginning, uh, the Lord has searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thoughts from afar. He knows what you're thinking. Wow. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. And then now he reflects on, on, what, on what he's just said, right? Like, wow, this is too much, too much for me to take in. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too big for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. So think about it. Look at the words uh, that, uh, you know, that, that he uses here, right? Uh, thou, hast, thou hast searched me, known, thou knows every step I take. God understands my thoughts. He doesn't just know my thoughts. He understands my thoughts. I don't always understand my thoughts, right? He understands my thoughts. He scrutinizes me in all my ways. He knows it all. Wow. So, you know, uh, when we... So, what does that mean? What it means? It means you can't hide from God. It means there's nowhere to go, right? It means that I can't hide anything from... I can't, like, you know, it's not as if if I don't say it out loud, then God won't know, right? No, he already knows it. 
Why would David say, this is too wonderful uh, uh, for me, and not, oh no, this is really bad news, right? Because our first inclination might be to say, this is not good news, you know, because if, it's so, if my thoughts are so transparent before God, I am in big trouble, right? Well, think about David. God knows all that and did not do away with him. God knows all that about David and still embraced him as king and the model of the messianic king. Wow, that should encourage us. That even though, you could say, even though God knows every single thing about me, he still really loves me, you know? Warts and all. That is hard for us to uh, process. Uh, we, we know it and we say it and we say, oh, praise the Lord. And, you know, that's great. But in our own selves, we know ourselves. We don't know ourselves as well as God. And oftentimes we look at ourselves and say, oh, there's, I am bad. There's just no two ways of looking at it, right? God often has a different opinion of us than we do of ourselves. So important to understand as we approach this time of year. Okay? Now, so how does, so what do we read? Where can I go from thy spirit? This is exactly, is this knowledge that you, that I cannot get away from you, that you know everything about me is too much for me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. You're everywhere. You're in the pit. You're in the, you're in the sky. You are in the heavens, the earth. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. You know, on uh, Yom Kippur afternoon, we read the book of Jonah. And doesn't that kind of remind you of Jonah? You know, uh, God tells him to go, God tells him to go this way from Israel but he goes this way until God makes him go the other way. See, you cannot run. And Jonah could not run. We cannot run. Cannot run from God. Even if we think we're running. Even if we go off the path and we think and we're doing our own thing. God knows. There's just no way of getting around it. No way of getting around it. Okay. All right. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the light and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. You can't hide in the dark. You may go and live in the dark, and you may forget about the light for a while, but God remembers, okay? God remembers. So, rather than saying, you can't run from God. How about this? He chases after you, you know? So it's not so much a case of, oh no, I can't hide. It's, wow, God loves me so much that he chases after me, you know? And th this plays uh, a tremendous, we will come back to this later on in these holidays. This is very important that in our own relationships, even with each other, right? That as a community, 
that, uh, you know, we, it's good to be tra somewhat transparent, at least with people, you know, uh, who are in leadership or spiritual friends, you know, to be able to share the burden, right? But also not letting people go, right? Sometimes we go and fetch one another, right? And how important indeed uh, is that? He chases after you. I love that. That's such a positive way of looking at this, right? He loves us that much. He doesn't say, I know you, yikes, right? Enough with you. What did, uh, when, when uh, Peter and uh, the uh, disciples of Yeshua in the Gospels said, how often do I need to forgive? Seven times? He says a euphemism for always. 70 times seven. Always. Oh, that's impossible right? Uh, that's kind of what the text is, is bringing out, right? That's impo impossible always. Well, just as God uh, knows us, doesn't give up on us, that's another way of saying it. He chases after you. Let's use another title for verses 7 to 12. He never gives up on us. He never gives up. We can't run away from him, and he never runs away from us. He never gives up. And so we should never give up on ourselves or others, ever, okay? All right, verses 13 to 15. Why? <laughs> because thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. In other words, from conception, I'm a real person, right? And not only that, but uh, you made me. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's where it is, right? Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. You know, I, it just reminded me of something. At the very end of Psalm 103, the very end of Psalm 103, just read this yesterday, in the, in the last verse, we might overlook this in Psalm uh, 103. But in the last verse, verse 22, look what it says. Bless the Lord, all you works of his. Isn't that something? Bless the Lord, all you works of his. Right? We are works of God. We are works of God. So back in Psalm 139, right? Why is it that God can know every single thing that there is about us? How is it that he never gives up and he chases after us and we can't run away from him? He loves us that much. is because he made us and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the sea. Thine eyes, thine eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordered for me, when as yet there was none of them. Wow, how important is that? So he made us, and he made us for a reason. There is a purpose in our, uh, in our lives. A purpose. We may think, ay, 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 there is no purpose in my life. My life is just one in the quicksand, or use another term. You know, that it's, um, I'm just going nowhere fast, uh, you know? No, no, 
No matter where we are, God knows us. No matter what's going on, no matter what we're thinking, no matter where we've been, no matter how dark it's been, no matter how inconsistent we may be, <clears throat> he knows it and he never gives up because he made us and he has a, a purpose for us. Now, that should cause us to give great thanks to God, right? That's what verses 17 and 18 are. How precious also are, uh, how precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. It's just unbelievable. You know, these great truths, they are just overwhelming uh, 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 to us, right? All right. So now he says, I have thought all of this or said all of this because I have a prayer request, right? In verses 19 to 24. Oh, that you would, <coughs> oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, where does that come from? Everything's going so well in this psalm, right? Now it becomes this imprecatory psalm of I'm talking about slaying the wicked. Holy smokes. Not literally, but just as a figure of speech. Oh, that thou would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against thee wickedly. Oh, that thou would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate thee, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against me? I hate them with the utmost hatred. How could we read something like this in the Bible, right? They have become my enemies. When Yeshua talks about loving, you know, loving your enemies, he's talking about personal relationships. He's talking about uh, you know, personal forgiveness, personal relationships, things like that. What this is talking about about our people who, come, who are coming against God, who are, who are evil, okay? You know that in the New Covenant, we use the term, here I'm going to use the term we never, we never use here, but it makes the point. You know, we use the word antichrist, right? Anti-Messiah, right? Uh, as a, as a, a figure at the very end. But do you know that the passages that talk only in one place, do you get that? But the majority of passages that speak of that, of the spirit of anti-Christ, anti-Messiah, are speaking about people who come against God and come against God's people. And here you have in the Bible praying against evil. May I suggest that we can pray against evil. It's okay, all right? You know, sometimes we pray for people that we love. We say, whatever it takes, Lord, bring them back. Whatever it takes. Well, you know, another way to pray that is, Lord, whatever it takes, keep the evil away from me or the people that I love. Lord, whatever it takes, take the evil away. You know, we see it right here. We can pray it. You can pray. You can just pray the words right in the psalm. And there's no way that, uh, you know, if I pray the words that are right in the psalm, David prayed it. Godly people wrote all the Psalms. I'm just taking the word and praying the word of God, right? Whatever it takes. That's what, oh, Lord, that that would slay the wicked, oh God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. 
They speak against you wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. He's saying, he, what he's saying to God is, Lord, I hate what you hate. I, you hate sin. You hate evil. Yes, God desires that all people would come to him. Yes, that is indeed true. But he hates often what people become identified with when they are anti-God and especially when they do damage to the people of God. Very important. That's why he says all this, that God, you know my thoughts. You know my heart. You know that I love you. But Lord, you know, judge the wicked. Judge it, Lord. Keep it away from me. Keep it away from us. That's what he prays. And then look what he says. Oh, well, one other thing, real uh, uh, quickly. In Psalm, not Psalm, Isaiah chapter 5. Woes. Woes are bad news, right? Woes. Bad news, right? In verse 20 of Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those. So what I will say is, for all of us, if we have close associations with people that do this, we need to stay away from them. Woe to those people. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. And take away the rights of the ones who are in the right, who, who control, who, who manipulate, uh, who drag uh, uh, people down in, into sin and, and uh, despicable things. Woe to those people. That's what David is saying. I love you, Lord. I don't want to associate with that, Lord. Take it away. Then look at how he ends. Very important to read verse 1 and verse 23 and 24 kind of together. First, he says at the beginning, you have searched me and known me. Now at the end, he prays, search me, Lord. Search me and know me. Like in other words, yes, Lord, I know that you have searched me and known me. Now, Lord, on the ground, in my life, search me and know me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. That is the climax of this psalm. Yes, Lord, you know everything about me. You made me. You chase after me. You love me. You, you know, uh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, Lord. It's too much for me to take. Lord, keep the enemies away Keep your enemies away from the covenant people, from myself and, and others. Lord, may we not be tainted by, by all that. But, Lord, if I am, search me and know my ways, know my heart, Lord. And if there's anything in me, bring it to the surface so that I can repent of it, so that I can walk away from it, so that I can walk away from the evil, whether it be ideas, associations, roots of bitterness, whatever it may be, and this is the season for us to do that so that I can walk on the everlasting way or walk in the everlasting way because that's what I want to do, Lord. Oh, Lord, search me. I know you've searched me and known me, Lord. I belong to you. I'm a Messiah follower. 
Yes, that is true. But God calls us, whether we're talking uh, about this psalm or in the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, wherever uh, it may be, that we are indeed called to examine ourselves. We are indeed uh, uh, called uh, uh, to take a look on the inside. You know, uh, Yeshua calls us to do that. Uh, we read about it in 1 Thessalonians uh, in uh, chapter 2. Uh, we read, uh, uh, you know, in, in a variety of places here about examining ourselves, about examining our, ourselves. And so may uh, we, uh, may we indeed uh, uh, do that, examine ourselves, let God search us uh, and, uh, and know us, uh, how important indeed uh, that is. Uh, for us. And so, uh, as we approach these holidays, what we, this is the kind of attitude that we want to uh, indeed have, so that we get the most out of it, so that we really can repent. We'll talk more about repentance on Sunday night and, and on Monday morning, uh, and about this examination of ourselves and what God wants to do uh, in our lives. You know, Yeshua died for our sins. He rose from the dead. Yes, indeed, we know that we have the assurance of, of eternal life. But yet at the very same time, we know uh, that when we uh, do wrong, when we sin, when we confess it uh, to God, we're forgiven and we're indeed cleansed, right? Uh, and so there is a need for us as a community to live that way. To not only say, yes, God has searched me and known me and he's forgiven all my sins, but to say, God, search me and know me now, Lord, and bring to the surface indeed uh, what is there. Uh, and uh, uh, Lord, may, uh, may God indeed um, uh, cause us to have uh, clean hearts, pure hearts, as we uh, confess our sins, as we repent, as we turn, uh, as we return to God, uh, and walk with him. And that's what this season is indeed all about. So let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, uh, thank you, God, that indeed, uh, Lord, uh, you do uh, know everything uh, about us. Lord, I, I do pray, God, for us as a community, Lord, uh, that you would examine our hearts, Lord, because we love you. And we know that you know everything about us. And so we just sort of, we just sort of give ourselves to you. Like as we read in Romans chapter 12, like, like living sacrifices, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed explore. You would indeed uh, take the magnifying glass, Lord. Uh, and that uh, you would indeed, uh, God, cause us to, uh, to see with clarity what we really are and who we are. And may we return to you, Lord, and know that you're waiting for us with open arms. Thank you, Lord, that David prays with the assurance of someone who knows you and therefore is not afraid to say, Lord, search me and know me, because the, the desire is to be known by you. Lord, as, uh, as your word uh, indeed uh, uh, says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. And so, Lord, may, uh, Lord, may we examine ourselves. May that be a theme for us, 
Lord, as we journey through these days. And Lord, I pray that when, when stuff comes to the surface, Lord, uh, uh, that we might uh, ask forgiveness of one another and of you. And Lord, we do pray, God, that during these holidays, there would be a new reconciliation that we have with you, an experiential reconciliation that we have with you, and that there would be a new day, a new walk, a restored, Lord, a restored walk to, to what it was like at the beginning. And so, God, as we walk through Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, may the end result be restoration and rejoicing and celebrating, Lord, new life in you. Thank you, Lord, that you have indeed searched us and known us, and that you still do so, and that your desire is always restoration, transformation, change, Lord, so that we can be the men and women who you made us to be. Thank you, Lord, that we are not defined by our past. We are not defined by where we've been. We are not defined by what we've gotten ourselves involved in, but we are defined by you, Lord, you who made us, you who know us, you who search us, Lord, and you who change us. We thank you for that. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.